Hey guys, welcome back to the Don't Knock It podcast where we address misconceptions about Jesus' character, his church, and his word. By doing this, we hope to encourage you to delight in Christ before dismissing him, to know him before knocking him, and to help us address the second installment to season four that I titled The Hard Scenes of Jesus. I am joined by a beloved brother, uh, my pastor, David Johnston. How are you, brother? I'm great. I'm thankful that you're here because this is a this is, a, this is something that I myself have wrestled with in many different ways because it seems apparent. It mm-hmm. seems s- straightforward, mm-hmm. right? It's considered one of the I am sayings mm-hmm. of Jesus, mm-hmm. um, which basically most of them are are difficult, especially mm-hmm. within its context. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to get into this. But before that, um, let's get to know you a little bit. Okay. Um, who is David Johnson? Sinner saved by grace. Sinners saved by grace. Absolutely. It's absolutely a fact. So I've been blessed to, uh, I'm a peach, I'm a preacher's kid. I'm a PK. A lot of times people think PKs are uh, a mess, but by the grace of God, I, uh, I love being a pastor's kid. A lot of pastor's kids don't like it. They don't like the, the focus, the attention. I was always blessed. So my dad uh, was a Baptist pastor for many years. I got saved at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington in Mrs. Green's Sunday School class in 1968. Yes, that means I'm old. Um, I was four and a half years old. I gave my life to the Lord when I was seven. I was baptized at the First Baptist Church there. And my dad, um, you know, pastored. And and then we moved to Orange County, and eventually we got plugged in at Calvary Costa Mesa. I was there during the tent days when it first was getting started. Went to school there when the school first opened. And first time we really, you know, my dad was a verse-by-verse guy in the Baptist Church, but then we saw it more in the Calvary Chapel movement. And my dad eventually became a Calvary Chapel pastor. He planted a Calvary Chapel up in Santa Cruz. Um, and then by the grace of God, I've been able to plant uh, two Calvary Chapels myself. I mean, the Lord planted them. I, I just got to be the tool in the hand of the master, right? And um, so I'm a, I'm a church planter by heart. I love to go to places where nobody wants to be. And I love to see and watch what God can do when we just simply teach his word simply. Amen. So you're a pretty busy man, I would assume. Very. Um, but, you know, I'll rest when I get to heaven. So I do have a full-time job. I'm a tent maker like Paul was. And uh, even when the church in Santa Cruz got pretty large, um, I continued to work. I had multiple pastors on staff, and I wasn't one of them. Um, because I feel I, I love the mission field that God has given me. I've been with the same company for 35 years. I've been a pastor for 35 years. So um, I go on call on customers every day, and I get a chance to share my faith. And so when I'm encouraging people and exhorting them to get up and do devotionals, it's easy to do that if you're a full-time pastor sitting in your office all day. So I understand what it what it's like. I know what it's like to come to church on Thursday night when I'm tired from a full day's work. So I understand uh, what the sheep go through because I go through it myself. And I do love the mission field. I'm an, I think I'm an evangelist at heart. I love to share my faith. I love to see people get saved. But I also I love the Bible and I love people. I mean, I love the Lord. I love people. I have a six-word philosophy of ministry. It's preach the word, love the people. I want the best fed, most loved people on the planet. Amen. So speaking of the people that you love the most, yes. tell us about your family. So my wife, Lynette, and I met when I was 20 years old at 7-Eleven. Oh, thank heaven for 7-Eleven. <laughs> and we just celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary on January 1st. Uh, we have four children, uh, Ashley, Johnny, David, and Mark. And now my youngest son, Mark, went to heaven last year. Um, I was the one that found him and did CPR. And yeah, and it's been a, you know, I don't want this to sound wrong, but part of me died with my son. Mm -hmm. 
And it doesn't mean that I have any, my faith has grown, if anything. It hasn't been lessened. It hasn't been challenged. I don't doubt God. I'm thankful that because God sent his son to die, I'm going to see my son again. Uh, my son loved the Lord, and my son struggled his whole life with depression. And it was something that we did everything we could to help him with it, and uh, eventually, you know, it took his life. Um, but uh, I'm going to see him again, and heaven's better. And uh, my, my son David is engaged, uh, about to be married in July. My son Johnny's married, and then I have six grandchildren. My daughter Ashley is actually married to a Calvary Chapel pastor in Colorado. And, um, and my wife and I are now empty nesters. It's hard sometimes. We like our house being filled with people. But uh, my wife and I have actually grown closer than we've ever been through the death of our son. Um, us grieving together has drawn us closer to the Lord and closer to each other. And no suffering's wasted. And God's already using it for his glory. God knew before the foundation of the world he's going to take my son home on September 17th, 2021. And he also knew that it would open opportunities for ministry. And so whatever trials we go through in this life, God will use them for his glory if we will but let him. Yeah, and um, just for those listening, like I I have to commend this brother here um, for a quick second. I know that he won't want to, but um, or want me to, but uh, I have to. Uh, one of the the many things I've been saved for about seven years. And one of the many things that I've enjoyed sitting under this particular teaching is because is, is that the, the actual message of the gospel truths essentially were incarnated. I, I saw you walk through grief mm. in a way that I've never seen before. Mm. Um, I've seen people walk through grief. I've actually um, just recently, my dad lost his best friend and uh, I've spoken to you about this where I had mm. I was personally asked by the widow, um, his wife, to to say something at the funeral. Mm. And so I've seen people grieve, but in not in the context of a church and especially not in the ca- context of shepherding, mm. someone who is uh, shepherding a local flock and and has to walk through that. Mm-hmm. And uh, not step away from it. Who who looked, and not to mention, um, when you were going through that, you had to begin James. Mm-hmm. You had to begin the book of James. Mm-hmm. Um, which, if any of you know or are, are familiar with the book of James, he begins with uh, rejoicing mm-hmm. within trials. Mm-hmm. And so that, in and of itself, um, really uh, was just another facet of my faith walk, my journey with Jesus. Um, that really. Uh, allowed me to glean wisdom from mm. uh, just to see how someone who has been a believer for much longer than than um, than I have walked through that grief um, so that was that was incredible um, and I'm sure everyone a lot of people within our congregation would agree um, that there was it was it was uh, God ordained something that was spirit empowered mm-hmm. and so I just wanted to commend you that for, for that brother. Um, and let me make it clear, it's not easy. Well, I, yeah. Because people will come and say to me, you're so strong. And really, I'm not. You know, his strength is made perfect in weakness. Mm-hmm. And uh, I grieve for my son pretty much every day. And it's been 16 months. And I still cry pretty much every day. Because he's my son. Mm-hmm. And I'm his dad. Yeah. And dads care for their kids. And dads are supposed to provide protection and answers. And, and again, ultimately, my son always belonged to the Lord. He was on loan to us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I know he's in heaven. It's not a doubt in my mind. I never talked theology with anybody more than my son, Mark. He shared his faith with so many people. He loved the Lord, and he struggled. Yeah. And, that's, and then what that does, too, is it gives me a greater 
you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, God comforts us in our suffering that we have been then comfort others with the comfort that we have received. So, you know, suffering is wasted. And because I've been through what I've been through um, in my almost 60 years on this planet, is it gives me not just sympathy, but empathy. Sympathy is, I feel bad for you. Empathy is, I know how you feel. And since my son went to heaven, I've done multiple funerals for people who've lost their children because other pastors refer them to me. And then the people will call me and they want to hear what I have to say, not because yeah, I've got anything more than I understand what you're going through. Mm-hmm. And when I, sh- when I share with them, they're like, yeah, I know exactly how you feel. And I know. Exactly. And so God, no su- again, no suffering is wasted. God is and has will continue to use this for his glory. I will say this, that heaven's more precious than it's ever been to me. I think about it 20 times a day. I look forward to heaven. I'm glad I'm 60 and not 30. Uh, I just really, you know, and I want to finish strong for the Lord. If the Lord gives me 25 more years, 10 more years, whatever he gives me, I want to finish strong. I want to be a battle for the kingdom. I want to see people saved. It's given me a greater sense of urgency to see people saved, a greater passion for evangelism I've ever had before. And, um, you know, again, just to love God and love people. And uh, it's almost, you know, by the grace of God, uh, made me almost fearless for the gospel because I just... It doesn't, you know, ultimately, that's all that matters, you know. And so um, I long to see my son again, you know, but I also long to see my Savior. And I'm looking forward to that heavenly reunion. Amen. Yeah. Amen. We all look forward to that day. Amen. Thank you for that. Um, Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, It just reminds me, I I told you this a little earlier, that our daughter got sick for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, And it was something. It was... uh, yeah, it was something that I've never, I never felt felt before, and it actually reminds me of something that you said during the message this morning, how Jesus knows, mm-hmm. and how that minister to, ministers to us. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it, for some reason my mind went to the the verse um, where you where you, something along the lines of like growing from grace to grace, mm-hmm. and um, I thought about all the different different points in our lives that that you and I have experienced where where you get married mm-hmm. or before you're married, you, you have a specific understanding about love. Mm-hmm. And then when you get married, it's almost like you, you, you have this, your, your version of love and what you think about love has been revolutionized. Mm-hmm. And then that increases when you have children. Absolutely. And then that, even that increases when you have grandchildren. And it's just, right. it just reminds me of the beauty of the different seasons that we go through in life and how mm-hmm. God uses each season to mold us and, and conform us into the image of his son. Amen. We, it makes us deeper lovers of God mm-hmm. and even deeper, like you mentioned earlier, lovers of people. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I just uh, wanted to um, share that with you, that that's something that the Lord put on my heart mm-hmm. um, during the message today. So speaking about scripture... Uh, let's get to today's misconception. Okay. So, um, or today's hard saying. Sure. So, starting at um, starting at verse fifty-two of John okay. six. Okay. Verse fifty-two at John six. Um, Jesus has just um, said that he was the bread from heaven. He compared mm-hmm. essentially compared himself to the manna that came down mm-hmm. from heaven um, mm-hmm. with Moses and the Israelites. Mm-hmm. And then starting at verse fifty-two. It reads, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? 
And then Jesus responds with, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in, mm-hmm. and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So, from the plain reading of the text, Mm -hmm. what did Jesus mean by this? So, I want to hone in on his phrase, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Right. What can we conclude, especially as we consider the whole context of John 6, Mm -hmm. what can we conclude Jesus meant? Because there are various interpretations about this passage right well key the key to scripture always is context take a text out of context all your lexicon and you have somebody take a verse like that out of context and all of a sudden now there's you know the catholic church thinks that it turns into his flesh and his blood and we're drinking blood and we're eating the flesh of jesus right Mm -hmm. well obviously that's a clearly false connotation because here's the problem they are making they take a spiritual truth and they try to turn it into something that is physical you know, you go all the way back to John 3 when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, you must be born again. And what did John the Baptist say? Oh, can I crawl back into my mother's womb a second time? See, they respond to a spiritual truth from a physical perspective. And what Jesus is teaching them is a spiritual truth. The spiritual truth behind that verse is really what it is saying is that unless you fully assimilate Jesus into your life, you will not inherit eternal life. You can't know about God. You can't believe that he exists. That's not enough. You need to feed on him. Now, clearly, if you go back and look at the manna, manna points to Jesus in a lot of ways because manna was, it was small, round, and white, you know, and it's the humility of Christ. Round, it's eternal, right? White, it's purity. And so you don't, you look at the, the physical manna, and that was God's provision in the wilderness, But that was provision for people so they would not starve physically. Jesus came so we would not starve spiritually. Jesus came so we might have life and life more abundant. See, so manna was something that helped them survive through the wilderness, but it was not the answer to eternal life. And what he's saying is, if you don't feed on me, if you don't have intimate fellowship with me, if if who I am is not assimilated into who you are, if you've not been born again, if the Holy Spirit doesn't live inside of you, then you are not truly saved. And what has happened is it's like uh, you see it throughout Scripture. Well, people will take a verse like this and make it literal. And the sad part is that I do believe that the Bible is literal unless it can't be. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people, I'm teaching the Revelation right now on Sundays, as you know. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, Revelation is the easiest book in the Bible to understand as far as I'm concerned. It's all literal unless it can't be. And I believe that's true of any text. But you also need to understand context. He said, I am the bread of life. That's how the whole text starts, right? I'm the bread of life. We have to feed upon him. He's the bread. He's what feeds us spiritually. He's the reason that we, you know, that we can be born again. And the same is true here, because they were just religious guys who had a bunch of religious things. And what here's what's crazy about it. He's addressing a bunch of self-righteous religious people who are caught up in a bunch of rituals. And then the way that they interpret it, they're still doing rituals based on this verse because they don't understand any more than the people that he was talking to. Wow. That's a good point. That's a good point. Because uh, 
when we think of the liturgy, right? right? The liturgical acts, often called the sacraments that we partake in in the church. Right. Um, It is the ones with the most tradition that hold to a literal, more of a literal meaning of this. Did I, were you... No, I'll go wherever you want to go with this, but it's, well, look, we have two sacraments in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, right? Mm -hmm. Baptism, communion, right? The difference between the Christian church and the Catholic church is we don't think we're drinking Jesus' blood. Mm -hmm. First of all, he's risen and living and triumphed over sin and death, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And we're not putting him back up on the cross and tearing his flesh into pieces every time we have communion. I mean, that's... First of all, it's just nonsense. But uh, again, the whole point of this is it's a spiritual truth, not a physical one. And again, it's you must be born again. You must be born from above. He was saying, he was saying can I crawl back to my mother's womb? No, he's saying you've been born of the flesh. That which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. Do not marvel. I said you must be born again. The word born again there is literally born from above. So you're born physically. You need to be born spiritually. But they misunderstood that and said, well, I, I'll be born again physically. And the same thing's taking place here, too. They're taking a spiritual truth, and they're making it into a physical dogma that is so contrary to anything that Jesus said. Jesus did not cause us, want us to be cannibals. We don't eat Jesus, okay? We don't feed on his flesh. That's nonsense. But that's what happens when you take a text out of context. We don't understand. We talks about being the bread of life and the manna that comes down and, and the contrast between a physical thing that manna did to help them survive physically and what Jesus did on the cross that would redeem us spiritually. Mm-hmm. So they're two separate things. And um, like I said, they actually believe that a wafer blessed by a priest by the way, we don't need priests anymore because we are priests. And we have one intercessor between God and man, and that's Jesus, right? Right. So they believe that when he does that, it tur- actually turns into the body of Jesus. You know, again, I'm, I'm not a guy that would get into it. Like, so, so go ahead and bless one, and let's take it down to the lab and see if it's actually flesh or not. Because mm-hmm. it's not. And so it's, it's just taking a text out of context. And when you do that, and the sad part is, you know, people take text out of context, and they will build an entire dogma around something they've taken out of context. Mm-hmm. That teaching in the Roman Catholic Church is called transubstantiation. Right. Uh, trans means change. Substantiation means actual substance. And so what they do is uh, once the father or the priest consecrates it, he consecrates the bread and wine. And so once he does that, the essence, the essence of the elements transform into the body and blood of Christ. And that comes straight from the, the Catholic Catechism, uh, specifically paragraph 1376. Right. Um, and they get that teaching from the Council of Trent. Um, so it's not something that we're just, you know, being, right. that we're not, that we're being too hard on the non-essentials. Right. It's just simply, that's what, that's what the teaching is. And so, yeah, so there, there are many different, I wouldn't, necessarily consider roman catholicism a denomination but there are other denominations like lutherans um the orthodox church the greek russian orthodox church you know what they all have in common what's that they've all veered from scripture Mm. all of them episcopal church have homosexual pastors why did that happen they veered from scripture yeah why do the catholic why do the catholics having you going into a box and confessing and then praying with vain repetition things that are clearly call no man father say about father which art in heaven the priests are called fathers they think that the pope is inerrant mm-hmm. how, how is that all of that stuff that's contrary to scripture so where do you see people 
diverging from this stuff is when they are not, they don't, they don't stick to the word of God. The word of God is sufficient. They, they you know, they add to the cross. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Mm-hmm. They're telling if you don't have your last rites, you're going to spend time in purgatory until someone spends money and prays you out. Yeah. Right? They tell you to pray with vain repetition. The Bible says not to pray with vain repetition. Go play, go pray 50 Hail Mary. We don't, first of all, we're praying to Mary. We don't pray to, so all of this stuff is contrary to scripture. That's the problem. Every single one of these dogmatic things that they have cannot be found anywhere in scripture. Mm-hmm. It's, and, and yeah, do we take communion? Yes, we do. But here's the, here's the thing. They're both sacraments, but do we need to take communion to be saved? No, because nope. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And it's a, it's a hard saying because a lot of people walked away after he said it. But it's a hard saying because he was letting them know it's not, an, it's not good enough to believe that there is a God. It's not good enough to have a distant relationship with the Lord. He can't just be your Savior. He's got to be your Lord. Can't just be somebody who gave you a get out of hell free card because you walked an hour and prayed a prayer. You literally need, he needs to be your Lord. You surrender your life fully to him. You turn away from the person you used to be. You surrender your life to him. You're filled with this Holy Spirit. And now you walk in newness of life. And what happens is when you take rituals and let those take the place of what God has actually done in us through the through the death of Jesus on the cross and the person of the Holy Spirit, now you think you're a cannibal every time you go to you know, mm-hmm. church on Sunday, and you have some guy pray over it who's called a father or was surrounded by all the idols and then pray with vain repetition, and then this is really Jesus' body. These are all people who have gotten away from Scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Once probably a- more blunt than you wanted it. No, be. that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, once upon a time, Christians had a terrible reputation uh, in the first couple of centuries after Jesus' life on earth. Rumor had it. Rumors would go around that they were eating flesh and drinking blood, which obviously led many people to think that Christians were cannibals. Right. And then because of the whole, in Romans 16, 16, um, it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Right. And so that also brought up rumors that Christians were a secret sex, a secret sex cult. And then with the Christians refusing to acknowledge the pantheon of cultural gods, led others to say, well, they're a bunch of atheists because mm. they don't serve the God that we serve or the mm. gods that we serve. Mm. And so Christian, Christians have had uh, a wide variety of, of rumors and attacks on them for centuries. And this happens to be something, obviously it's a sacrament, like you mentioned, so it, it happens to be something very uh, important to us. And yes. so that's kind of what uh, I want to go into. Right. Um, so because this is a command from the Lord Jesus himself, what would it look like for us as believers to put this into practice? In verse 54, he does say, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has Mm -hmm. eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. Mm -hmm. So as believers, we don't want to miss out on that. Of course. Um, We don't want to miss out on eternal life, and we long for the day that that we will be raised up with him. So how can believers who haven't straight away from scripture. Right. How can we put this teaching from Jesus into practice today? Well, I think a, a, a good application for this entire text is that to have a true relation with the Lord, we just we must do more than be casual followers as I was talking about. Mm-hmm. We're seeking, you know, mis, you know, people want just a physical provision. That's what manna was. What God wants is much more than that. He does he wants us again to be not just our savior but our lord. And so really just as we take food and drink 
into our body and it becomes a part of us. So we must receive from within our innermost being who Jesus is in our life. So he becomes, um, he is my life. Mm-hmm. And one of my many life verses, Philippians one twenty one, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So it doesn't mean Christ is first on my list in priority. It means he is the list. He's number one, he's number five, he's number 100, he's every number in between. Christ is my life. I live and move and breathe because of him. And I have intimate fellowship with him. So it's not, again, it goes back to that uh, koinonia, right? Do you have fellowship with God? And what he's saying is, unless you assimilate me into your life, Mm. unless he becomes who I am, right, in Christ, unless I'm filled with the spirit of living God, right, if I don't have that intimate fellowship with God, then I, I'm really not one of his children. See, if I've been adopted into his family, and he's written my name in the book of life, and he'll never leave me nor forsake me, and he's put the Holy Spirit to live inside of me, that's far more than some physical provision like manna was. Mm-hmm. It's far more than religion where it's something I do. You know, uh, Like I said, I tell people all the time, if... If they're not going to teach the Bible, they might as well put horns on the wall and call it the Elks Club because it's not—it's nothing more than a community of people, but it's not a bunch of people that have been born again. It's not, you know, as believers, we're called to fellowship. And why do we take communion? Here's why we take communion. So we never lose sight of the cross. So we never lose sight of the cross. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Now, when did he say that? He said that on the night he was to be crucified. He said on the night he was to be arrested. He's up, you know, they're remembering Passover, looking back to the Passover, being delivered out of bondage when the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross, right? And then the angel of death passed over and they were delivered out of bondage in Egypt. Egypt is a type or a picture of the world. How were we delivered? How were they delivered out of bondage? Bondage to the world, to the shed blood of Jesus, right? In the shape of a cross. And then, you know, they go through the Red Sea, a picture of water baptism. And then they're at Mount Sinai and the word of God is given to them. And then they're, you know, headed to the land of promise. I believe the Jordan is a picture of being filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit-filled life, entering into all God has for you. Mm-hmm. And sadly, because of fear, they didn't enter into the land. So what did they do? They wandered in the wilderness till they all dropped dead in the wilderness. Because they never really entered in. They, they had the physical manna that fell from the sky, but they did not have a spiritual relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so what he's really talking about here is that we need to go far beyond. We need to assimilate him into our life, right? We don't, we don't have a, a distant relationship with him. We don't know about him. We know him. And that's the difference between us and every other religion out there. They're all trying to earn heaven through good works. Um, no, nobody they follow actually says that they paid for their sins. They don't have a promise of eternal life, right? There's a hope, oh, I believe. And so it's really, the focus of this is really to make sure that we recognize and never lose sight of who Jesus is, what he did, the cross of Calvary, that only through it we can be saved. And if we are not assimilating him into our lives, if we have not truly been filled with the spirit of the living God, if we're not truly born again, we will not have eternal life. Yeah, it's it's become apparent, and it's it's actually really beautiful when we do uh, take communion communion yeah. together. Yeah, uh, because of what it represents and what it does to believers. And here in this passage, I just have a, a few thoughts here in this passage. Eating his flesh and drinking his blood is in the context of our hunger being forever satisfied. Correct, and being. And our thirst being forever quenched. Correct. Um, this happens in both our belief 
in his finished work on the cross and his atoning sacrifice. Correct. Both flesh and blood. And so um, I just love the the parallel of the the wilderness passage mm-hmm. uh, in Exodus mm-hmm. and this this John six because if we look at John six six uh, verse sixty one Jesus says um, but Jesus conscious that conscience conscious that his disciples grumbled at this said to them does this cause you to stumble and it's just like it's it's a clear um, a parallel of Jesus or of Israel grumbling in the wilderness for food, right? Mm-hmm. Longing back for the world or looking back at uh, the world that they were just rescued from grumbling and then God providing man in the wilderness. And then Jesus almost flips that and makes it almost a clear as day parallel. Like I am your provision. I am your provision, not just the provision right. of, to your body, but your, your eternal provision. Um, well, the key verse in this whole text right here is verse 63. Because mm-hmm. verse 63 says, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just eating, if we were eating his body, literally eating his body, and that's all we did, it would profit nothing. Yeah. Right? Because mm-hmm. that's a physical thing. Eating man is a physical thing. But look what it says after that. It says, the words which I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So it's a spiritual, the whole thing is a spiritual uh, perspective that he's giving here all the way through it. We need to be transformed spiritually, mm-hmm. right? So again, even if we, even people were raised from the dead when they, uh, physically, Lazarus, you know, Tabitha, you know, different people, John the Baptist's mother-in-law, I mean, John's uh, mother-in-law. So these people are all, are Peter's, excuse me, Peter's mother-in-law, but all these things that take place, but those all people all died again. Because that was a physical answer. That was a physical healing. Jesus came to heal us spiritually. Jesus came to make us new creations in Christ, to fill us afresh. And so, like when I when we do communion here, you've done it here many times. You know that I was most of the time. I say there's three things I want you to do. First of all, look back to the cross of Calvary. It says, often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And then I say, look within, because the Bible tells us if you come, you know to make confession or that you need to get right with God before you even do that. So this is a time for us to look within our own lives and say, Lord, you know, light of the cross, I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm born again. I know I'm a new creation in Christ, but Lord, be there any wicked thing? Do I need to confess something? Do I need to get right with you? But not only do we look back and look within, we look forward. Cause he said, the next time you do this with me, you'll do this with me in heaven. Mm-hmm. So we are going to, so are we going to be eating Jesus' flesh in heaven? So, I mean, again, if you take that analogy, mm-hmm. we'd be cannibals in heaven. Again, it's not the context of what the, what the scripture is saying. It's really picturing to us the the spiritual need that we have, as you just said, to be satisfied. And, and what brings satisfaction? That God-shaped vacuum that only Jesus can fill. And when we've been we've you know when we've been born again, when we've had the blessing of what the cross of Calvary did, right? Mm-hmm. It healed us spiritually. We're born again. It's transformed us into new creations. We were spiritually dead. Now we're alive in Christ. And all of that came through his shed blood on the cross of Calvary. All that came through his body that was broken for us, right? By his stripes, we are healed. Mm-hmm. A lot of people try to use that to say that's physical healing. I believe that's clearly spiritual healing as well. So it's a, it's, it's the, the reason it gets misunderstood is it's taken as a literal physical thing when God is clearly, Jesus is clearly teaching a spiritual truth. Mm-hmm. 
And it, it all comes to um, a point with, with his interaction with Peter. Yep. And this is one of the most beautiful, humbling um, portions of scripture because in at the end of that exchange, we see that from this time, many of starting in verse 60, 66, mm-hmm. from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus says, do you do not want to leave too, do you? Mm-hmm. And then Peter responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Mm-hmm. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And that, I think, puts it all in perspective. Like Peter saw that. He saw the importance of it. And um, it's just beautiful as it we is. reflect on that. Um, so what he's, what he's really yeah. asking him is like, again, it's not just a fleshly following that in those who walked away had not been transformed spiritually. That was the problem. And what he's asking him, do you want to go back to your old life? Mm. You want to go back to your old beliefs? You want to go back to the old helpless situation of the world that you lived in until you met me? You want to go back to that? Wow. You know? Is that what you don't want to go back to? Uh, you know, as a believer, people will say to me, like, uh, people, you know, with my son, that's such a fresh thing. But people will say, well, did you ever doubt or question God? And the answer is absolutely not. I never asked God why, not one time. I've never asked God why about anything in my life ever. In 2009, I was in the hospital for almost a year from a bot surgery. And it was when I got home from you know, being in the hospital all that time that I found my boys had wandered from the Lord and I'd been gone all that time and I had three boys addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. And so we've been going down that path for many years. And so the point is that um, people will say, well, do you ever ask God why? And, and I don't think the question with God is ever why, it's what and how. It's what do you want to teach me and how do you want to use us for your glory? See, because again, no suffering is wasted. And so here, Peter's got the, he's got it. You know, where, where else am I going to go? Mm-hmm. Who else has the words of eternal life? You know, where where else would I go? So my son went to heaven, so I'm going to quit. I'm going to walk away. That'd be that's crazy. Who else ha- who else can comfort me? Nobody. Yeah. Who else has where's their hope? Without Jesus, there's no hope. Mm-hmm. If you're following Muhammad, you got no hope. If you're following Joseph Smith, you've got no hope. If you're following religious rituals, you've got no hope. Yeah. Right? And you know what's the crazy part about that is whenever I ask somebody, whenever I ask a Catholic, whenever I ask somebody else, I'll say, you know, are you going to heaven? You know what they always say? I hope so. And the sad part is anybody that says, I hope so, has no hope. Because if they had hope, they'd say, absolutely, I'm going to heaven. How do you know? Because Jesus said so. Because what his word says. You believe in heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. You know, and so Jesus is assimilated into my life. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of me. He will never leave me. He comforts me in my deepest trials. He convicts me when I sin. And, and, he, and those who the Lord loves, He disciplines. I'm thankful for all of that. Mm-hmm. And where else would I go? Who else has words of eternal life? And you know what? It's so tragic to think you're chewing, you're, you're, you're eating the real flesh of Jesus and drinking His blood and then praying with vain repetition. And then, you know, I have to go so many times to church so hopefully when I die, I can get prayed out of purgatory and maybe make it one day. That's a hope so, not a no so. We know by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. He said, it is finished. To Talisti paid in full. That word, they would use it when you paid a bill and they'd stamp it to Talisti paid in full, right? Mm-hmm. If you had a debt, anything like that, you know, it was, a, it was a down payment. It was a proof that the debt had been paid and Jesus has paid the price. And so when we drink the cup and we take the bread, we're remembering that the price has been paid. It's been paid in full. It is finished. It's not a hope so. It's a no so. It's done. 
And now he lives inside of me and he's never going to leave me. And he's written my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And when I close my eyes on earth, I'm going to open up my glory and I'm going to see him face to face. I can't imagine living this life trying to be religious with a hope so when we can have a no so and intimate fellowship with the King of Kings. Thank you, brother. So as we close out this episode, if anyone, if anyone who's listening to this doesn't consider them, themselves a Christian mm. or um, is came has come to Christ mm. and doesn't really know where to start, mm. you know they they has they have had a change and they don't really know what where to go, what mm. to start, um, what church to go to, or. Mm. Um, so I would, I, I, my last question will be, can you give us a gospel presentation? What is, sure. if, if the, if for the next couple minutes, sure. this was the only thing, this was the only exposure that anyone had sure. with Christianity, um, what would you say to them? You know, the first thing I always like when I, I get to share my faith almost daily. And when I do, the first thing that people need to see, they need to recognize they're a sinner, although they'll never see a need for a savior. And so one of the first things I'll always ask them is, do you believe you're a sinner? Most people will say yes. Some people push back. Mm-hmm. And then we define what sin is. So if you're a sinner, you know, how many murders does it take to be a murderer? One. How many sins does it take to be a sinner? One. You ever told a lie? You ever stole a candy bar? You ever, you ever dishonorable to your parents? You ever take God's name in vain? And the reality is it's not one sin. It's, there's a, it's one with a bunch of zeros after it for all of us. We're all sinners. Well, sin is an archery term. It's a distance between perfection and where your arrow lands. It's called the sin distance, a distance from perfection. Well, we're all, we've all fallen short of the perfection, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, if we compare ourselves to other people, you know, we might look pretty good. But God doesn't grade on a curve. He grades at the cross. I don't get to compare myself to Charles Manson and say I'm pretty good. I don't get to oh, I, I compare me to Adolf Hitler. I'm pretty good. How are you doing compared to Jesus? You've fallen short just like I have. We all have. So we've got a sin problem. Here's the problem with that. Our God is holy, perfect, and righteous. And God can't have one sin in heaven or he's got earth part two. So if I'm a sinner and you're a sinner, then and God can't have sin in his presence, we've got a problem. And we do have a problem. Well, the good news is the Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, he didn't die for you because you were good. He died for you because he's good. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. And so what I would say to you is, first, recognize you're a sinner. If you recognize you're a sinner, that's a good thing. You're moving in the right direction. Because until you recognize you're a sinner, you'll see no need for a Savior. Once you recognize you're a sinner, you'll see there's a need to repent. See, it's not enough to believe you're a sinner. The demons believe and tremble. They believe in God. They believe that, right? It's not enough to believe. It, it, we need to take an action. And the word repent means a change of mind or a change of heart. Where you turn around, like I was walking in that direction. My life was headed to destruction. I was living according to my sin nature. My life was a mess. Something was missing. Any happiness I had was temporary. There's a God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill. And so repentance is when you recognize you're a sinner, and then you respond to what Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Right? You know, Nicodemus was the most, one of the most religious men of the day. You could say he was the pope of the day. And Jesus didn't say to the pope of the day, just keep being religious. He didn't say, hey, make sure you fulfill all the sacraments. Hey, did you get your, you know, your... First Holy Communion, he didn't ask him any of that. He told him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, this religious man, said to him, well, you know, I've got to crawl back into my mother's womb. And he said, that which is born of spirit is spirit. That which is born of flesh is flesh. Do not marvel, I say, you must be born again. Here's the problem. We've all been born spiritually, we need to, uh, physically. We need to be born again spiritually. We're all dead in our trespasses and sins, and we all need Jesus. 
So how do you become a Christian then? So I'm a sinner. Can't be any sin in heaven. That's earth part two. How, do, how does my sin get washed away? Again, it comes to, with confession, but really it's a change of mind, a change of heart. It's if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. Now, that doesn't mean, notice it doesn't say if he's Savior. It says if he's Lord. It's not just, again, the get out of hell free card. I prayed a prayer. I'll stick it in my wallet. If it's God, things real, then I'll get in because I'll have this, you know, to hold on to. Or getting baptized. I got a baptismal certificate. I put it on the wall and if... You know, if there is a God, I'll be okay. It's not, that's not it at all. It's when I surrender my life fully to the Lord and I recognize my desperate need for him. And here's the good news is when we're born again, he washes us white as snow. All our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. He separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. You know, one of the things I love in, in the Jewish tradition, they would take these, you know, they made sacrifices and one of the animals they called a scapegoat. And what they would do is they would confess the sins of their nation over this goat and they would send it out moving from the east to the west and they would have people positioned as the goat was passing by they were realizing it's getting further and further away and that's where that term comes from the the lord takes our sin and separates as far as the east is from the west he forgives our sins past present and future he redeems us he paid the price paid in full and then he gives us a down payment on heaven the person the holy spirit and so now i know for sure that i'm going to heaven because the spirit of the living god lives inside of me so i'm a sinner my sins need to be forgiven or I can't go to heaven. Jesus went to the cross, paid the price for my sin. If I surrender my life to him, if I confess my sin, if I repent, and I don't just make him Savior but Lord of my life, I become a new creation in Christ. And again, he fills me with the Holy Spirit and I have the promise of eternal life. If you've never done that, and again, it's not about the words you say. It's about, really, it's a heart change. You know, I can get anybody to say those words. I used to, we used to have our church in Santa Cruz in downtown at the mall. I could give everybody a fifth of scotch. They'd all say it. <laughs> that doesn't mm-hmm. do any good. It's not just saying words. What it is, is it's surrendering your life, surrendering your heart. Once you recognize your sinner and you see your need for a Savior, that's when surrender starts to take place. And, and here's the thing. You also need to believe that Jesus Christ and Christ alone is God, that he died on the cross and that he rose from the dead. See, he was born of a virgin. That's why he was the only one that was born that wasn't a sinner. We were all born sinful. So you can go through the Romans road, right? All of sin, wages of sin is death. And that if you believe in your heart and confess your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Once you're saved, you need to get plugged into a good Bible teaching church. Make sure they're teaching the whole counsel of God. Nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. And you know what? You need to get a Bible for yourself. You need to open it, read it, and obey it. You know, and trust in the grace of God that he's paid the price for you and your good works won't save you. There's not things you need to do to earn heaven. But once you've been saved, good works will follow. The Bible says, by your fruit, they shall know you. So if you've given your life to the Lord and your life doesn't change, then you haven't really given your life to the Lord. Because if you've given your life to the Lord, your life will change because you're a new creation in Christ. All things will pass away. All things become new. So if you've never given your life to the Lord, recognize you're a sinner. Confess him as not just Savior, but Lord. Surrender your life to him. Find a good Bible teaching church. And then I would say this. Get him plugged into a small group. If you're college age, go to a young adult's Bible study. If you're older, go to a men's study. Go to a youth group. And then find someone who could pour into you and disciple you. Because you need to be discipled. God didn't call us to make converts, but disciples. You need to be discipled. And I say this to everybody. God called us to make disciples. I would say to myself and anybody else, who are you discipling and who's discipling you? Mm We all need to be discipled by somebody, and then we need to have people that we're discipling and pouring their lives into. So I would just encourage you, find a good Bible teaching church, 
get plugged in, get a Bible, open it, read it, ask God to reveal himself to you. God's not hiding. You don't have to find him. Mm-hmm. He finds you. You just uh, you know, open your life to him. So uh, I hope that wasn't too convoluted, but just again, simplistically, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We need to. Be, we need wages of sin is death. That's why all people die. God can't have sin in His presence. That's why we need to be born again. Our sins need to be washed away. And Jesus Christ and Christ alone is the one who went to the cross, suffered and died, took your sin upon Himself, and then proved Himself to be God on the third day when He rose from the dead. And guess what? He's coming back. Amen. And I long for that day. Me too. Uh, and that is the Jesus that um, that we encourage you to delight in Christ before dismissing him, to know him before knocking him. And I just want to say that if you are a believer, for the, anyone listening, if you are a believer and you invite someone to church, do mm-hmm. not let the first time that that friend hears the gospel be from your pastor. You should be Amen. you should be pouring into their lives, and they they that should just be. Uh, an extension Amen. of what you've already talked to them about. Amen. Don't don't just invite your friends to their church so that they can hear what they should have heard from you, Amen. from your pastor. Amen. Um, so I'll leave you with that. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Don't Knock It podcast. If you want to know more about the podcast, you can find us on Instagram. And if you haven't already, please like, share, and subscribe to the podcast or leave a review or a question you'd like for us to unpack on a future episode. Thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Chris Ramirez. Grace and peace, family. Amen.